You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, wow. out. I it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Henry Duffy. It was recorded in March 2016 at the Hackney Round Chapel in London in collaboration with the British Science Association as part of British Science Week. So I was, a couple of years ago, I was studying uh, conservation. And it came to the time we had to pick projects to do. And we could look at advertised projects and pick one of interest. And I was looking at this list of projects and one of them said underwater cameras. And I stopped. Underwater cameras, great. Sign me up. Sold. Whatever else. It sounds really interesting. Didn't look at where it was initially. Uh, after my initial excitement died down, I thought, I should probably see where, where this is going to be. And it said the Pitcairn Islands. Uh, anybody heard of the Pitcairn Islands? That's more, more than people usually say, actually, if I ask anybody. Uh, I'd never heard of them. I had absolutely no idea. I thought, oh, maybe it's near Australia. Great. I'll get to go to somewhere near Australia. It's, it's not near Australia. <laughs> it's a, over a thousand miles away from Australia, so I couldn't have been more wrong. And after lots of looking uh, on real maps and Google Maps, I found the suggestion of a speck in the South Pacific Ocean, which was uh, the Pitcairn Islands and Pitcairn Island itself. Uh, to give you an idea of how remote it is, uh, it's 500 kilometers away from the nearest land uh, with people on it, uh, 2,000 kilometers away from any other continents, basically smack bang in the middle of the South Pacific. You can't get there by anywhere except a boat. There's no planes, there's no helicopters. So it takes about five days from London to get there. So when I found this out, you can imagine I was feeling a little bit daunted at the prospect. Uh, also because the boat that comes there only comes every three months. If you're not on it when it leaves, you're staying there for three months. Uh, so, yeah, feeling a bit daunted. Uh, but it turned out that I was going as part of a team of three. I thought, okay, I'm going to go with some colleagues uh, it won't just be me. I just point out that not, not only is it incredibly remote, it's also got one of the world's smallest communities of about 35 people. Uh, so small in every sense of the word. But anyway, I thought, great, I'll get to go with some colleagues. You know, I'll have some familiar faces there. Except after I pretty much committed to going on the project, they said, oh, and by the way, we're, we're leaving after three weeks. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and it turned out that they were going to have to go after three weeks because that's when the last rotation of the boat leaves and then I would stay for another 73 days with just me and this community of 30 people who I had never met and obviously didn't know me in any possible sense. And at that point, you know, I really wanted to, to back out. I was vaguely terrified of you know, going, being by myself in this utterly strange place that I'd never heard of for, for such a long time. And it's strange looking back now and thinking how close I came to actually saying, look, I don't think I can do this. Um, but I basically already committed, uh, 
So despite what I hadn't been told, I, a few weeks later, or a few months later, I found myself uh, being sailing up to the, to the shore of this island in, in the island launch, the only boat that they had, uh, and setting foot onto this place that a few months ago didn't even know existed. And now here I was, it was going to be my home, where I'd have to get to know the people and for three months you know, do some research and also you know, make a life for myself. Uh, so, from a historical point of view, it's also really interesting because anyone familiar with the, the Bounty Mutiny, HMS Bounty, it's a famous story about a b group of British sailors who mutinied on their boat in about 1790, and Pitcairn is where they went. And 220 years later, their descendants still live there, unbelievably. And when I got there, I was told that the house I'd be living in was built on exactly the same site where the lead mutineer, Fletcher Christian, uh, where he made his house. So not only was it an incredibly alien place from the isolation side, also this amazing history that to be utterly immersed in by staying there uh, and living on the site of this, you know, where this famous historical person lived. Uh, so you're probably wondering at this point, so why, why was I going to this faraway island at great length and difficulty? Uh, essentially, to briefly explain, the Pitcairn marine ecosystems are considered very uh, poorly studied and potentially a great value because of their biological uniqueness. You know, if it's very isolated, you get unique species, unique ecosystems. And Nondry done much work there before, so we took a bunch of underwater cameras, uh, which we baited, and then we would uh, basically deploy them in the sea and try and sample the marine life, something which had never been done before uh, using this technique on Pitcairn. So hoping to find out some new things and maybe find some new species. So the first three weeks went past. Uh, we did some initial work. I got to know a few people, but I still didn't really feel at home. Uh, and then it came to the moment when my, my colleagues were saying, cheerio, good luck. <laughs> uh, and as I, as I watched the, the boat sail away, I was sort of thinking, oh my God, you know, <laughs> that's it. You know, and I really was quite literally marooned. And in, in this day and age and living in, in parts of the world such as, well, most parts of the world, it's so connected, everything is so accessible. But that was, there was no way off. Like for, I, for 72 days, this was where I was going to be in all you can see is ocean in every, every direction. You know that there's, there's nobody even going to go past unless by some complete chance. So. And that was really quite overwhelming. It was the kind of isolation that living in somewhere like London, you just you can't experience anything even close. And, and I was daunted at the prospect of three, three months, but then here are people who spend their entire lives, and, and that, that is their life. And the people there uh, in fairly advanced years who've never left. And again, it's such a modern, connected world, what an extraordinary life that is for people to lead. So I should point out before you think that three months on a tropical island is, sounds incredibly glamorous. I mean, it was, it was very nice in many ways, don't get me wrong, but I also had to, to write my entire research project while I was there. So for the last six months on this tropical island, I had more of a tropical desk uh, where I didn't really get to do anything. So I, I look outside and think, oh, look at the, the palm trees and, and the blue sea. Occasionally a humpback whale would jump, no, seriously, there's whales jumping around, and I think, oh well, I better get back to this spreadsheet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the last six weeks was very surreal, working 10 hours a day, often not seeing anybody, because the very small community, all, all with very busy lives in this own little island, so I'd go for hours or days without seeing anybody. Um, so that was quite definitely a unique, a unique way to write a project, and hopefully to go for my university's most remote essay submission, if that was a thing, which is not, but I think I'd probably win if it was. <laughs> um, so being field research, things went wrong, of, of course they do. Anyone who's ever done research, whether in a lab, in the field, anywhere, knows stuff goes wrong. But on somewhere like Pitcairn, everything is amplified because 
if anything breaks, you can't, you can't, I mean, Amazon don't deliver to Pitcairn yet. Give them a few years. But you, you can't get anything there. You've got to fix it or you've got to make do. And so we had, we had some bad weather, which we kind of expected, you know, the legendary Pitcairn storms, and we had uh, remnants of hurricanes blowing in. And I look out the sea day after day and say to my, my local supporters and field assistants, can we go out and do some, some camera deployments today? And they just look at me and laugh and say, no, no chance, because it's a totally exposed place. The sea is huge. So we had bad weather, uh, and then we had another thing which I kind of expected, which is that at some point I did forget to turn the cameras on. So I'd throw the camera in, bring it up an hour later. Whoops. <laughs> um, I told myself I wouldn't do it, but of course I did it anyway. So again, kind of expected that. And then less expected, had one particular camera deployment where an octopus managed to partially break part of the equipment, which then fell off. So less expected. So in essence, lots of things went wrong, which in various ways we dealt with. And we got lots of, of data. We had something rather more serious go wrong, which kind of brought home the isolation to me. And also the, the isolation of living there, which is one of my field assistants became very ill while we were there. And basically, there is a doctor on the island, uh, which, and he's, you know, he, he, the guy at the time used to work in the Antarctic, so he knows what he's talking about. So if you have anything relatively minor, uh, it can be dealt with. But if anything major goes wrong, you've got to get off. Um, but it's too far for, say, a helicopter evacuation, so you just have to, um, you just have to make do. And so this, this man was very sick, and too sick for the doctor. The doctor actually told me that he used to wind me up and say, have you had your appendix out? And I said, nope. He said, oh, that was silly, foolish. Come here with an appendix. And he said, oh, it's fine. I'll... Uh, he said, if your appendix is still there and you get appendicitis, I'll cut it out under a local anesthetic, which was, I don't think he was joking either. Um, so every time I got a stomach pain, I just think, really? Now? Is it going to happen now? Uh, it didn't, thankfully, but uh, yeah, my, my colleague, who was an islander himself, uh, did become very ill, and they decided that they had to get him off in a matter of days, or you know, he would die. And the only way to do it is for the, the islanders to do it themselves. So bear in mind a population of 35. So the boat crewed by about six, seven people took him in the island's only boat, which is about a 20-foot, maybe 30-foot, open-foot, uh, open-top long boat. So really not an ocean-going vessel. And they took it, and they took this man, and they sailed him for 500 kilometers across the open ocean for two and a half days to get him to the nearest runway, where a plane could actually pick him up. And he survived, uh, which is a nice ending to the story. But the consequences were unthinkable. And should their boat break down, nobody else is coming for them. And for me, I felt very useless watching this, and admiring, I suppose, of the bravery of, of the act of taking this man away. And it made me think, because I was there doing, you know, for, doing science. It, it was only a temporary thing, albeit for three months, but it was still... And I was seeing this event and thinking how, how life on this island comes with so many of the, of the comforts we take for granted taken away. Uh, and watching this happen to this guy, I applied it to myself. What if I become ill? What if it happens to me? And thankfully it didn't, and it all had a happy ending, but it was an extraordinary thing to witness. And uh, a situation that I don't think I could have seen it anywhere else. Uh, anyway, so I mean, the time flew by, and before I knew it, I'd been there for 93 days, uh, grown a pretty impressive castaway-type beard, uh, which I haven't kept, sadly. Um, but And it was time to go. And so before I knew it, I was on the way back and getting to the airport and thinking that there's more people in this plane than I've seen in three months, or twice as many, maybe three times even. And... And then looking back on it now, it's all quite surreal. It's, it was, I have to remind myself that I spent such a long time in such a, in a place which is so otherworldly in so many ways. And all because I, you know, I, I decided to reply to an advert and take a, 
a project at the time without really thinking through what was involved. But you know, maybe I would have not applied if I'd known. Maybe I'd have been too scared. So uh, maybe thinking too much would not have been a good idea in that particular situation. So yeah, it's basically it's a, it's a, a, a nice story about my pursuit of science ended up taking me to, to the end of the world, somewhere I never even heard of. So thank you very much. That was Henry Duffy. Henry is a conservationist with a particular interest in the marine environment and a background in tropical marine ecology and fisheries management. He's been marooned on one of the world's most remote islands for three months in the name of scientific research and aims to convince everyone that corals, sharks, sponges, and fish are just as exciting as all the wildlife on land. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Just off from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio, the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Hackney Roundchapel for hosting the show, to the British Science Association for being amazing partners, and to all the Duffies out there. This is the third story we've run in as many months by a Duffy, and as near as we can tell, they're all unrelated. So, thanks, Duffies. Thanks for listening.